to She Bangs, She Bangs for God and Country. I'm your host, Jennifer Bangs. A little intro to what this podcast is about. This podcast is a spin-off podcast from my original podcast, She Bangs, She Bangs, Marriage, Adultery, Texas, and Jesus, a true story that covers my fight for my marriage when my husband was out cheating on me and how, once he came back, I cheated on him. The podcast is based on my live show with the same name. I wrote that show for people fighting for their marriages alone. I noticed in the world of stories, there was a lot of talk about divorce and infidelity and God, but there wasn't a lot of honest or hopeful talk. So I created a podcast that married my faith in God with my foul-mouthed candor. Then this pandemic storm swept the globe and I watched as most around me fell into depression or fear. I watched my beautiful New York turn into zombie land and I watched the Bible Belt, where I'm from, do the same. And in my heart of hearts, I knew more voices needed to rise up and offer a different perspective because the perspective droning on and on our TV sets or slithering through social media wasn't doing anyone any good. I'm going to try my best to be a voice of the God-fearing that is intelligent and humble, that isn't partisan, that isn't Democrat or Republican, that loves the church as much as the unchurched, that desperately wants to usher in truth to a very dark world, but isn't interested in picking sides. Because sides suck, and sides divide, and the only enemy I see is one against humanity as a whole. So... Welcome to my new podcast, She Bangs, She Bangs for God and Country, a totally irreverent, equally accountable podcast about God and the U.S. of A. So, a little about this particular episode. My first two episodes, Jesus and the Virus, weren't slick or highly produced, and I was a little worried I'd seem exclusive starting out saying this first message is just for Christians, but... Then my friend texted and said, girl, I'm struggling too with not meeting with my fellow Muslim friends. We didn't get to celebrate some holidays this year, so what you're saying is more inclusive than you think. I also received messages from my non-Christian friends who actually listened to those episodes and no one called me names or threw shade at me. So I was sailing along feeling pretty good and then four weeks ago, all that changed. I started getting hammered. Several emails expressing disappointment or outright scolding me like I was a child with something I said in a group email. And all of these messages of condemnation were from one group and one group only. Christians. What did I say that made so many Christians angry? I questioned science. I got emails telling me that because I wasn't a doctor, how dare I question science? I've thought long and hard how to respond to each of these messages and realized I couldn't. Because I was coming from a position that has taken years to develop, and there was no way I could encapsulate my knowledge and experience into an email. So, I'll do it here. I was not planning on addressing such a hot topic right now, but it makes sense because U.S. science is dictating so much of our lives these days, and U.S. science is something I know a whole lot about. A little background. 
What no one knows is that this actor-singer-podcaster was born and raised in a pharmaceutical and medical sales family. My family worked in hospitals, but not as doctors, as salesmen. In fact, it's why I even exist. My grandmother was a scientist in the 1940s who worked in a hospital lab in Chicago, and my grandfather would come to the hospital to sell his wares, and he fancied this little lab coat darling and married her. I am the product of when science and sales meet. It is in my DNA. And those two things, science and sales, go hand in hand in this country. Growing up in a medical sales family, I learned from a very early age that you didn't have to go to medical school to educate doctors on products they give their patients. I learned at a very early age that there are dollar signs attached to all things medical in this country. My family has great respect for doctors and nurses, and my family has greatly benefited from these relationships. After I left home, I dated a chiropractor. My family, being so pro-pharma, thought chiropractors were quacks. So when I started dating the guy, I asked him a lot of questions. <laughs> a lot. He answered every single one, and I began to appreciate other forms of healing. So much so that, for a short while, I worked at his practice. Years later, he's told me he's never had anyone grill him as much as I did or ask as many questions. I wear that as a badge of honor. It means I was doing my homework. A few years later, I started working at a pregnancy center. I traveled to public and private schools all over Los Angeles, teaching junior high and high school kids about sex and STDs. The pregnancy center figured the best way to prevent unwanted pregnancies was to educate kids before they had to walk into our clinic. This period of time was critical in my understanding of science and medicine, because in order to teach these kids, I had to study STDs and sexual statistics. I had to know the facts before I stood before impressionable minds. I wasn't there to spin the truth. I was there to tell it. I remember shortly after I began teaching sex ed, I saw a Trojan condom commercial on TV. It gave some scary stat that sounded wrong. I did a little research, and sure enough, I was correct. The commercial was misleading. I got very angry because this company was touting its product as some public health remedy when, in reality, it was inflating some number to increase their sales. I wrote Trojan a letter calling them out for their bogus advertising and scare tactics, all in the name of safe sex. It was infuriating. And I was just some 20-something-year-old who didn't have kids or any skin in the game. I just didn't like being lied to. And I didn't like knowing others were being lied to, and they didn't know it. Most of us in America aren't doctors or scientists. So when this pandemic hit, we all, like assholes, had opinions and started mouthing off, and then the medical community was like, shut up, you don't have the years of experience we do. And they were right, but they were wrong about me. No one knew I'd been studying this shit for decades. I was born into it, it fed my childhood and young adult life, and then when I had kids of my own, whew, all my passion and research went into hyperdrive. Because now we were dealing with my children. There is a reason we refer to some of the most ferocious and aggressive encounters as when you cross a mama bear with her cubs. What doctors were telling me in the pediatrician's office didn't sit well with what I knew growing up, and it didn't sit well with the maternal instinct God gave me. 
I don't have to have a medical degree to see through bullshit. So let's go. Episode three, science. It's poetry in motion. She turned her tender eyes to me. As deep as any ocean. As sweet as any harmony. She blinded me with Don't worry, all you left-brainers. I'm going to get to you with numbers and stats, but I got to set the scene here first. It all started when a doctor from a large community of believers I'm a part of emailed a link to a petition written, supposedly, by scientists and doctor Christians informing the public that their listed scientific protocols regarding coronavirus were of God And that if we were real Christians, we should abide by the petition and sign it. It was said in a much more articulate way, but it smacked of the same rhetoric Southern Christians used to justify segregation and German Christians used to justify Nazi stars. It's an age-old tactic. Use whatever ancient writings you have to justify current politics. Ancient texts since the dawn of time have been used to justify slavery, annihilation, and control. But what was my problem with their well-articulated petition surrounding science? It's that they were equating their science with God. It's that they were raising their scientific arguments to some totalitarian truth level. Some of their science was actually anti-God. And as a believer in God and a seer into how science is not always what it seems, I called this out in the email chain. And this group of believers lost their damn minds. See, we Americans believe in this country that science is sound, that science is without bias, that it's impartial, objective, that science doesn't have emotion or agendas, that science isn't affected by dollar signs. But our U.S. science is. Some of the science in our country sucks. Why is our country so willing to throw out any thought that objects to what the medical establishment has established? Why do we think any group of people is beyond reproach? Why do we think science in the U.S. is unimpeachable or pure? It isn't. And I know this because I wasn't brainwashed in medical school that the West knows more about medicine. And I wasn't brainwashed by the media who knows if they repeat the same things over and over again will believe them. And I wasn't brainwashed because I was born into the corruption and I saw it for what it was. It's a business. Your health is a business. Don't let that thought flitter in and out of your brain. I'll say it again. Your health is someone else's monetary gain. And so, when I read this petition that stated three medical positions and that these three positions were from God, I about lost my damn mind. If they wanted to send a petition saying, here, we think these are great protocols to take regarding coronavirus, fine. It's a free country. Well, sort of. But when you claim a petition is God-backed, then, ooh, Nelly, you better be sure your medical positions are void of corruption and 100% just the facts, ma'am. But see, their three main points were not just the facts or true scientific statements. They were pseudoscience statements that require faith to believe in them. And that's not science. 
That's religion. Science has become a religion in our country. Just as you wouldn't like it if I demanded you adopt the same beliefs as I do, don't be so naive to think that science doesn't demand a little faith too. That science sometimes rides not on facts, but on humans' interpretation of those facts. Look, science tries to explain things and our understanding evolves with time. Are we so arrogant to think that our current understanding of things can't be wrong? That our modern-day scientists have all the answers? That our modern-day health officials always have everyone's best interest in mind and never, ever do something out of human error or self-preservation? Or worse, greed? Sometimes science rides on limited knowledge, and sometimes science rides on nefarious gains. When these fallacies are successfully hidden, we call them truth. And when these fallacies are exposed, we call them lies. My favorite quote is by the writer Dresden James. When a well-packaged web of lies has been sold gradually to the masses over generations, the truth will seem utterly preposterous and its speaker a raving lunatic. So, perhaps I am a raving lunatic. A snake oil salesman you can spot a mile away. Or perhaps you've already been sold some snake oil by a salesman in a lab coat. Let's see. This is a long podcast, so I'm going to move fast, but I'll break it down for you. I'm going to move quickly through 11 points of how science isn't always truthful, and then I'll give one personal anecdote and two little stories. 11 points, one anecdote, two stories. Okay, here we go. How U.S. science isn't always truthful. Number one, let's start with the opioid crisis in our country. We had medical professionals telling us that millions of drugs shoveled out to hundreds of thousands of people were not addictive. And hundreds of thousands of people died due to these drugs. And now these pharma houses, many of which my family worked for, are losing billions in lawsuits because they knew these drugs were addictive. Number two. Johnson & Johnson for decades encouraged us to douse our babies with their talcum powder. And now Johnson & Johnson is losing billions when they were found to have known all along they were lacing their powder with asbestos. Notice how this American classic is no longer on the shelf? That's why. Number three. Dr. Anthony Fauci originally said this virus was like a severe flu with a 0.1% death rate. He also said wearing masks wasn't important, then later admitted he'd lied about the masks because he wanted to preserve supplies for medical workers. Do medical workers get their masks from Costco? No. No, they don't. They get their supplies from hospital suppliers, the kinds of companies my family worked for. So why would Fauci say that? He's either incompetent or a liar. And if that statement makes your blood boil... Are you upset I'm questioning science or a person? Number four, Dr. Deborah Burks announced from the get-go that the U.S. would take a very liberal approach to mortality in their diagnosis of COVID-related deaths. Don't let that announcement escape you. Liberal approach is another way to say what? Fuzzy on the details, not too accurate? If science in this country is supposed to be purely fact-based, how can facts be liberal? They can't but people can. 
Number five, maybe that's why weeks ago the CDC announced that only 6% of reported deaths were purely COVID. That means about 12,000 people have died from COVID and COVID alone. Why are we shutting down the country for 12,000 people? Yes, I have friends of friends who lost their lives during this pandemic, but should that affect public policy? Ten times that amount die in hospitals every year due to medical errors, yet I don't hear anyone calling us to shut down hospitals. Don't get me wrong. Number six, the CDC is no angel. These government employees often own patents on products or stocks in the companies they are supposed to be vetting, creating significant conflicts of interest. Julie Gerberding, the doctor who led the CDC from 2002 to 2009, left the CDC to become president of Merck Vaccines. Brenda Fitzgerald was named head of the CDC in 2017 and abruptly resigned six months later on the heels of a Politico report which uncovered purchases of thousands of dollars of tobacco, pharmaceutical, and healthcare stocks. Would it be too much to assume such conflicts of interest might fudge the numbers or blur the lines in scientific trials? Number seven. Last month, the CDC admitted in a legal response letter to the Informed Consent Action Network called ICANN, an organization that routinely sues government health agencies like the CDC, the NIH, the HHS, the FDA, and wins in these lawsuits. The CDC just admitted in a legal response letter to them that they have never conducted a study of health outcomes in vaccinated versus unvaccinated populations. Let that sit for a second. The Center for Disease Control, the United States federal agency that mandates vaccines for children to go to school, that may be mandating a COVID vaccine, that claims over and over again vaccines are safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective, just admitted that they've actually never conducted any study that compares vaccinated versus unvaccinated people, proving whether or not they're actually safe or effective. Number eight, this summer, the World Health Organization's COVID-19 technical lead, Dr. Marina Van Kerkhove, announced in a press conference that they have very little data evidence to show that asymptomatic people could pass on COVID-19. You won't be able to find this televised press conference on the internet anymore, but I recorded a copy in case you don't believe me. Here it is. From the data we have, it still seems to be rare that an asymptomatic person actually transmits onward to a secondary individual. Number nine, don't get me wrong, the WHO is no Romeo either. The WHO relied on Neil Ferguson's model that predicted there'd be two million deaths in the U.S. due to coronavirus, and his model and his model alone caused the whole world to shut down. Who is Neil Ferguson? He is an epidemiologist at the Imperial College in London who led to the slaughter of 11 million sheep and cattle in 2001 when he predicted 150,000 people would die to a foot and mouth disease outbreak. How many died? Less than 200. In 2005, Ferguson predicted 150 million people could die from the bird flu. In six years, 282 did. Not 282,000, just 282. Not 150 million. And then last March, super accurate Neil predicts 2 million deaths in the U.S. And the who listens to this guy and tells all of us to listen to this guy. And then when it becomes pretty clear Neil's predictions are off, two weeks later he admits 
he was wrong, but refuses to share his code. After two months of fellow epidemiologists and mathematicians demanding his research, Neil admits his model was based on a 13-year-old outdated code that was used for influenza, not coronavirus. Where is Neil now? He was fired from his position at the Imperial College when he tested positive for COVID and violated quarantine to sneak away to his married girlfriend. I'll go on. Number 10. The Lancet, the leading medical journal since 1823, published a paper several weeks ago saying that they had medical data to quantitatively discredit hydroxychloroquine as not only ineffective in treating COVID, but dangerous. All clinical trials of hydroxychloroquine stopped. And then, one week later, The Lancet came back and said, oops, we don't have that data. In fact, the data company was fake and we didn't vet them and everything we just published was wrong and we retract our paper. The Lancet rarely ever retracts paper because it's like the Bible in the medical world. But the media didn't report the retraction. They just kept going along with the original fraudulent paper because, because the media cares about science? And finally, what about these hydroxychloroquine doctors in front of the Supreme Court several weeks ago who challenged mainstream medicine? These are actual doctors, just as qualified as all the other doctors out there going along with mainstream medicine. But because their message didn't toe the line, they were banned on social media and character assassinated across the internet. This is how we treat doctors wanting to have a conversation about science? who are wanting to share their success for a cure for COVID? We don't praise these doctors, but rather label them evil communicators of misinformation that will endanger us all with their deadly ideas? I could go on and on and on, and if you're still listening, well, you're one of the brave ones who allows yourself to listen to potentially contrary thoughts and not denounce me as heretical or loony. Because I'm not loony. And you're not loony. The loony ones are the ones who listen to authority and never question it. The loony ones are the ones that applaud censorship if it doesn't line up with their scientific beliefs. The loony ones are the ones that think Mark Zuckerberg should be mommy or daddy and put child blocks on my iPad. The loony ones are the ones that don't cock their head to the side that the former richest man in the world, who was a computer guy with not only no medical degree but no college degree at all, is educating the world on vaccines. The loony ones are the ones who send out biased medical statements and claim they are from God. I don't take any doctor's statements as gospel truth because I'm old enough to know that doctors are people first. Scientists are people first. And people are flawed and people have agendas. If I'd listened wholeheartedly, no questions asked to my doctors over the years, I'd be walking around thinking I was barren, had herpes, had scoliosis, and that my adopted child was fully vaccinated. All of those things I've had doctors tell me, and they were all wrong. And I found out they were wrong because I did my own research. Because I knew that some of what they were saying to me came from the pharmaceutical rep that educated them. If you don't do the research yourself, you are putting faith in what humans are telling you. So please stop being insincere that science and your trust in science isn't faith-based. 
Please be honest enough to admit that believing the government has your best interest in mind when it comes to public health policy is the same kind of faith that tells me a Middle Eastern Jew 2,000 years ago is my savior. This is what I mean when I say science in our country has become a religion. So instead of dismissing things I share as wrong, do the research yourself. The only reason I know these things is because I research it. And you can too. You can find out yourself. I mean, it is getting harder and harder to do that because of the massive amount of censorship, including a lot of phony fact checkers, but the truth is out there. I don't know the first thing about biology or how medicines work, but I can put two and two together, and when things don't add up, they don't add up. Let me give a personal example. Here's that one anecdote I was talking about. When my son was three years old, we decided to adopt a little girl from another country. Up until this point, my husband and I had chosen not to vaccinate our biological son. I'd done hours and hours of research, more than even my own pediatrician. He admitted as much to me. And I couldn't find any justification for vaccinating our son based on his health and our lifestyle. But because we were bringing my son to a Russian orphanage to pick up our daughter, I didn't know what childhood diseases might be there. Because I couldn't find this information translated into English for me, all I could do was re-examine my list of U.S. vaccines and see if any of them seemed important to get for our son's travels to Russia. One vaccine I was really on the fence about was the Hib vaccine. I knew the disease had been rampant in the U.S. in the 1980s and that the vaccine was considered, even by anti-vaxxers, one of the safer ones. Hib had pretty much died out in the U.S., but it was a pretty serious disease, and I didn't know if it was still in Russia. I also knew, according to the CDC's childhood immunization schedule, that by the time kids are one and a half in America, they would have had four doses of the vaccine, starting at two months old. Our son was three years old, and we were leaving for Russia in one month. We went to the pediatrician's office and asked the nurse how we could get all four doses in such a short time. Oh, you'll just need one dose, she said. Is that because you give a larger dose at three years old, I asked? No, she said. It's the same dosage. <laughs> that couldn't possibly be right, I thought. Why would an eight-week-old get the same dose as a three-year-old and get it four times more? Another nurse came in. She just moved from another doctor's office, so I figured she might have a different method. I asked her the same question and got the same answer. Still didn't make sense to me. Then the doctor came in. One dose will be enough, he said. It usually takes some time to become effective, but hopefully in a month it'll work. But doctor, do we need to give him a bigger dose to make up for the other three he's not getting? Oh, no. One is all he needs, the doctor said. We do four doses because we don't know if the first three stick. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, doctor, you're telling me that a baby only two months old gets the same amount of this vaccine as my three-year-old? And a baby gets four times the amount my three-year-old gets? Correct, he answered. A baby's immune system is still developing, and we just don't know if the first three dosages actually stay in their system. So we do four to be on the safe side, just in case. We do four just in case. Jab a baby four times, just in case the first three don't stick. No idea if the vaccine is actually working. No idea what will happen if the first three doses don't leave the system. And now your baby is chock full of a vaccine four times what they need. No, 
We'll just keep throwing darts in your kid's arm and hope one hits the bullseye. I'm no scientist. I didn't study medicine. But I can detect bad medicine and shitty science when I hear it. And so can you. You just heard it. If I sound like I'm coming in strong against doctors, I am. Because they took a Hippocratic oath to do no harm. And polite words make zero impact against the brainwashing in our country. You've heard and swallowed for decades that modern medicine cannot be disputed. But why? Nothing is off limits to question. Nothing. Oh, how the pendulum has swung. Galileo was a scientist who questioned the religious establishment's view of things and was proclaimed a heretic and spent the last nine years of his life under house arrest. And now we, as a collective country, are being placed under house arrest and any outliers who pipe up an alternative thought to the handling of this pandemic are shut down in the most aggressive of ways. And so, when I sent my rebuttal to this petition that maybe we couldn't definitively say it was a Christian petition, I was scolded and shunned. Why am I being email body slammed by fellow believers for not putting my trust in man's understanding of science? Since when did science become something I couldn't question and explore? Since when did science become gospel? People, your ears are too precious. Grow some balls and be willing to be challenged by ideas and thoughts that go against the grain. But you know what? (laughs) Maybe I'm wrong. I'm willing to be wrong. I am. Here's my first story. One of the disapproving emails I got was from a Christian woman I will call Rain. She told me she was disappointed in my rebuffing of the petition. Rain told me that she is an epidemiologist and that she has been fighting misinformation peddlers like me for years and that I am harming the body of Christ by saying that the petition was not godly and that I was wrong about there being aborted fetal cells and vaccines. Oh, that was one of the points I made in my email rebuttal. Now, I'm not a big pro-lifer. It's not a subject I get all twisted about. But when the petition said that getting vaccinated was a godly thing to do— I said that maybe God isn't a huge fan of abortion and that he might not be promoting vaccines as 100% kosher. Rain sent me another pretty aggressive email putting me in my place that I didn't know what I was talking about and that she was grieved by abortion and I was flat out wrong that there are aborted fetal cells and vaccines. I immediately thought, oh shit, maybe she's right. Maybe I am wrong. I mean, she is an epidemiologist and she loves God. And I'm just going off of a video of a vaccine maker admitting in court he used like 75 aborted babies in his vaccines. I don't know. Maybe the video was doctored. Shit. Did I just make a huge false claim on this email chain to like 450 people? Oh, God. Did I just peddle fake science? And in a panic, but willing to be corrected, I googled my claims bracing myself for all the fact checkers to be like, you idiot, there are no baby parts in vaccines. But here's the thing about abortion in America. It's legal. It's kind of celebrated. Pink kitty cat hats and all that. And therefore, there are no fact checkers checking my claim because it's a fact this country is proud of. Yes, we use aborted fetal cells in vaccines. Google it. It's everywhere. This is not something science is trying to cover up. And I realized that my friend Rain, as a woman of God, 
is having a real crisis of conscience because her industry does support vaccines with aborted fetal cells, and she so doesn't want to believe that, so she's going to scold me for saying it out loud. And it made her anger at me make so much sense because Rain used to be some unnoticed epidemiologist married with kids, and then COVID hit, and now epidemiologists are kind of like rock stars, and her trickling Instagram followers have exploded into tens of thousands because she's now being asked to speak on CNN and CBS, and she's famous, and how dare I tear at the little pedestal she in this world has put her on. I wouldn't want to be in Rain's position touting her work as unquestionable and totally godly when maybe parts of it are ungodly and totally questionable. And I have prayed for Rain, that God would be gentle as she falls off this pedestal into her loving husband's arms. Because Rain will fall. She doesn't belong up there. No one does. And finally, I'll say this. Many, many, many years ago, there were some slaves, and God wanted them to be free. He sent some human reps to the king and said, let my people go. And that king said, "Mm, no. So God, aka the creator of science, sent science to create some serious havoc. God changed rivers to blood. He then sent frogs, then lice, then flies, then like mad cow disease, then boils on people, then fiery hail, fiery hail, then locusts, then darkness, and then death of all firstborns, including the firstborns of animals. But you know what God said could keep families from losing their firstborns? Take a lamb, slaughter it, and spread its blood on your doorpost. Wait. That doesn't sound very sciencey. How does blood smeared on a door keep your kid from dying? That doesn't make sense. That's not science. And you're right. And if you'd stuck to that position, you'd be burying your child. Because faith trumps science. And yet, so much of our modern day science is faith-based. So just admit as much. And if you believe in God, you should be questioning science as much as you question God to arrive at your faith. I hope I've crept into your brain a little and had you consider and think twice and maybe question that your doctor may be wrong and a guy in a lab coat doesn't have all the answers. Not because medicine is bad or science is bad. Goodness no, doctors and scientists have done so much good for our world. But we can be wrong about things because we're all human. But why does it matter? Why does any of this matter? I'll tell you why. Because bad science hurts people. Fake science destroys lives. And the church should be the last place where bad science can flourish. But unfortunately right now, the church is swallowing lots of bad science. And it came and smacked me in the face just two weeks ago. This is my second story. I just arrived back to New York City. I'd been in Texas for a little bit in the summer and had spent a lot of time with believers praying hard for the state of our nation. At least half the churches there are open, and it was a fantastic time back. When I landed in the Big Apple, I reached out to several friends asking them if they wanted to get together and pray. The only one that responded was my associate rector, or what I call associate priest, at my Episcopal church here in New York City. I joined this church a few years ago, and I have never been more in love with the community. It is by far the most welcoming church I have ever been to. They have women priests, 
fly the rainbow flag during Pride Week, throw open their doors and play jazz music, and do not water down the gospel one bit that Jesus is King. I've never seen a church that is so welcoming and yet so on point with their belief in God. The main priest there is from the Deep South, so he always greets you by name with his thick Southern accent and a hug. I love this church. So the associate priest wrote me back and said, yes, she'd love to get together, and why don't I come up during one of the hours the church is open during the week? It's limited hours, but at least they're starting to peek their heads out from the fear and carnage that lay siege to New York in the beginning. I walked up to the tall cathedral and my associate priest, along with another priest, were sitting outside, as well as the main priest with his southern drawl and usual open arms. My mask was under my chin so they could all see it was me. I was so happy to see them. It had been six months. Hi, guys. Oh, how I've missed you. They seemed to smile back, but no one stood up to greet me. I approached a little closer and said, beaming, Can I hug you? No, they said, and we have to wear masks. I don't know if they were telling me this to pull up my mask, or they were just describing the protocols they were taking. One of them started talking about how they had to be extra careful about COVID and how successful New York had been flattening the curve. Now, I want to pause here and say, New Yorkers... Please stop saying this. There were more deaths in New York City than any other city in America, and to say New York did a crackerjack job curbing the virus is just untrue. Other well-packed and populated cities in the world had very little death, so no, New York doesn't get to declare itself a winner unless winning means you had more people die. There were some tragic and devastating ways we handled the virus that caused so many people to die that didn't need to. But those ways are political. And since we in New York can't handle any narrative that disagrees with our politics, we're going to continue to tell ourselves we did a great job. I was disheartened to hear my priest tout New York's strategy as being super effective when it wasn't. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to be disrespectful, but it was fake science he was putting faith in. The priest started discussing how they were going to implement opening the church back up. I asked why they hadn't opened sooner when the governor said that they could. Well, we just needed time to figure it all out. I shot back. You've had six months. That's plenty of time. That's not an excuse anymore. There is plenty of space in that cathedral for people to sit six feet apart. And if anyone is uncomfortable, they don't have to come. That's true, one of them said. Two of the priests got up to leave, and I asked the one remaining if I could sit down next to her. She said okay, but then scooted a little away from me. What the? Okay, fine. I didn't say anything. We chatted a bit, and then I said I was going to go into the cathedral to pray. She then pulled out a form and told me I needed to fill out my name, phone number, email address, and answer five questions regarding my health and where I've been recently. It's so we can notify you in case anyone showed up today and then found out later they have COVID. So we can notify you. What if I don't care, I said. Well... It's also so we can tell others in case you find out later you have it. I don't have COVID, I said. Oh, okay, well, it's just what we have to do. I sighed, and before I could sign, she said, I also need to take your temperature before you go in. What happens if my temperature is above normal, I said. Well, then we'd say we'd love for you to come back at another time. What? I exclaimed. You're telling people they have to be well before they walk into church? Isn't that like the opposite message of Jesus? 
Wasn't he about, oh, I don't know, telling the sick to come to him? She averted her eyes. Well, yeah, I guess Jesus did touch and heal lepers. Yeah. And here's an idea. Why don't we have two people standing off to the side and anyone who does come in with the temperature, we can pray for them and ask for healing for them. Oh, hmm, yeah, I guess that would be a good idea. I filled out the damn form, passed the temperature brigade, walked into the empty cathedral, sat down in the front pew, dropped my head and just cried. (laughs) What has my world come to? What has my city come to? What has my church come to? Telling people they have to be well before we'll deal with them? Telling them they're not welcome unless they pass some tests? Sending people away if they aren't healthy enough for us? Refusing to hug a friend and give physical touch during a time when people are screaming to feel loved and not alone? This is why it matters who we listen to and believe when it comes to science. This is why. Because we matter. And any Christian petition or message that tells you to go away and come back when you're suitable is disgusting and not of God. I didn't sign that fucking petition. It takes as much faith to believe in that nonsense as it does to believe in God. So call science in this country for what it is, faith-based. And to force your science on me is ungodly and unconstitutional. As a Christian in America, I have learned to keep my mouth shut and not foist my opinions on others, let alone demand people follow them. And as a Christian in America, I have wholeheartedly, willingly apologized for judgmental attitudes and positions the church has taken in society. Well, you know what, society? Y'all are being the judgy ones right now demanding I adopt your shoddy science and labeling me as uncaring or selfish for not abiding by your scientific beliefs. I have to sit here and listen to you mouth off your pseudoscience as truth when in actuality, it's just your religion. Your self-righteous, condemning attitudes are ignorant and exclusive. Try adopting an attitude of humility and giving people the benefit of the doubt just like you have rightly demanded others do to you. There is a spirit of intimidation in this country right now, and it's ugly. Please be self-reflective enough to realize that your scientific knowledge is biased, that it is hypocritical and nuts to insist the virus only causes problems singing in churches, but it's totally okay shouting in protests, that walking down the street unmasked is dangerous, but sitting at a table on the street isn't. Unless you've conducted every study on coronavirus transmission or literally watched the virus jump 5 feet 11 inches from a healthy person and land on another person's unmasked face and infect and kill them, shut up with your untested, unobserved scientific protocols. If you want to be afraid, free country for now, be afraid. But don't demand I live in fear too. If standing 6 feet apart and wearing a mask makes you feel safe, awesome. But why demand I do the same? Because if standing six feet apart and wearing a mask really works, then how am I going to get you sick? And please don't tell me you're doing it to protect me. Number one, I didn't ask you to. And number two, you never gave a shit about old people's health before. It's just hip and cool to say you do now. Is that harsh? Yeah. But the argument, I wear a mask to show respect for those weaker than me, is tired. Because the science is not there to support it. You're wearing a mask because you've been told by people higher up than you to do so. You're wearing a mask out of obedience. Who are you pledging your obedience to? And why? 
Does anyone not see the horrible psychological damage being done when we're told to view every other human as a walking Petri dish? When we're told to view children not as joyful, innocent spirits, but rather little pathology carriers ready to pounce and kill you if you get too close or gasp, let a bunch of them get together in a classroom? I guess protecting lives from coronavirus is more important than protecting lives from fear, depression, and suicide. When it comes to mind, body, and spirit in America, mind and spirit are being crushed. So, what are you going to do? I just listed some pretty convincing points that throw a lot of cold water on the severity of this pandemic. Who are you going to believe? The Dr. Fauci's who tell you to hole up, lose your job, and stay far away from other humans? Or are you going to listen to Dr. Scott Atlas, who was just put on the pandemic response team? But you probably haven't heard about him because he sings a very different tune than Burks or Fauci. He's one voice among the hundreds in the global medical community who have been shouting since March that this virus is a boa constrictor in the animal kingdom. Yes, it'll cause some harm, but it's no Lion King. But you don't hear this information because the media doesn't want you to. They're going to label them conspiracy theorists and keep you believing what the media is banging out day in, day out with their daily death or case stat. This is why I say this is a matter of faith. So again, I'll ask, who are you going to believe? Are you going to listen to the stats I just gave you by the CDC and the WHO that say this virus is not as scary as they once thought? Or are you going to look around at everyone else wearing a mask and collecting their dwindling unemployment checks and tell yourself they are right? What do you believe? Look around. Does any of this add up? What are we doing? Waiting for a vaccine? A vaccine that's being rushed through so we can open back up? Does that even make sense to you? How do you rush science? Are you going to keep your churches closed and your restaurants closed and your theaters closed and your schools closed because someone told you to? Don't dismiss my 11 points. They are real. They are just as real as other points you've heard from other people. It's up to you and you alone to decide who's telling you the truth. Who has your best interest in mind? I'm going to go with the creator of the universe who sees us and loves us and doesn't want us living in fear or devotion to anyone but him. I tell you what, the ones that are wearing holes in the floor from praying on their knees are the ones ripping their masks off. Not because they are reckless, quite the opposite. It's because they are spending more time listening to God and asking him questions than they are listening to the media. And if you're not a God-fearing person, I implore you to use your brain and start thinking critically because there is just as much science out there to refute what is going on as there is science to keep you locked up and away from your family and friends. In the beginning, God gave us a tree in the middle of a garden and told us not to eat of it. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He told us not to touch it, but he still put the tree there. He gave us a choice. And we choose things out of freedom and love, not force. Don't force your science on me. Don't force your science on this country. Because science evolves. Science changes. God doesn't. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me take your